Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15. Uh, as Brother Jules said, the A team is away, and so the B team must do what they must do. Uh, but we're going to be studying the Scriptures this morning, and they are always good. I'm going to try and give you this morning uh, one of the great principles uh, from the Bible of love. Uh, one of the great principles of love. Uh, probably the most famous Baptist preacher of all time is the man Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who a lot of you would know. Uh, and boy, did that guy cop a flogging in his day. I mean, a lot of people knew he was quite impressive, uh, and a lot of people hated him with a fiery passion. Uh, and one of the most common accusations hurled at Mr. Spurgeon was that he was preaching outdated and irrelevant things to the modern British man and woman from the 19th century because he was still talking about Christ and sin and salvation and those great principles from the Bible. And I remember reading one of his biographers who pointed out that Spurgeon is dead, uh, his critics are dead, uh, but people today, 150 years later, are still reading the things that Charles Spurgeon wrote. And yet all those other things that people were preaching on at the time that seemed oh so relevant then are supremely irrelevant now. A sermon on the appropriate length, curling an amount of powdering a man should have on his wig now seems ridiculous to us. Yet these were commonly preached in the pulpits in England at the time. Uh, but, but by sticking with the permanent things, Charles Spurgeon is eternally relevant because the Scriptures are eternally relevant. The Scriptures never date. They are always relevant and applicable. And this morning I'm going to aim to try and focus on something like that. So, so let's pray and then we're going to read from John chapter 15. All right, we, we give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for your goodness, your graciousness and your kindness to us, Lord, with we're so grateful that you've given us this word that we can read and understand. We're so grateful you've given us your Holy Spirit to live inside us, to guide us and direct us. So, Lord God, we pray now for your help. We pray for uh, open hearts, open ears, Lord, just to hear and receive from your word. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look down there in John chapter 15. I want you to read with me from verse, we'll just read verse 12 and 13. It's Jesus speaking. And he says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And what we're reading here is a command that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples at the, in the day, but also to all who would follow after him. And Jesus gave them a command that we love one another in the same way that Jesus demonstrated, in the same way that Jesus loved us. And we who are Christians here this morning, 2,000 years later, find ourselves trying to live out that same command, that we love each other the same way that Jesus has loved us. And as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus and our love for Jesus, you actually find that you end up uh, loving the Christians around you more. Um, not all are as easy to love as others. Uh, and I must admit, when I first got saved, um, this wasn't in my top 10 places to hang out. Uh, and the people that brought me the most delight and joy, uh, it wasn't you guys, it was, you know, the boys on Discord or whatnot. Uh, but as you, as you grow as a Christian, as you learn to love the Lord more, uh, you grow in your love for, for other Christians. Uh, and this isn't a new commandment that Jesus just cooked up 2,000 years ago, where he thought, you know, this is not a bad idea, maybe folks should all start loving each other. In fact, this has been going on, God has been operating this way for well, forever, but for all of human history, which dates back about 6,000 years. The Apostle John himself said this in the book of 2 John 1.5. He said, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. So he said, I'm going to tell you something that 
That's a very old commandment, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So some people will put it to you like this. They'll say, oh, the Old Testament is about law and judgment. And the New Testament, it's about grace and love and mercy. And that's complete rubbish. It's been love the whole way along. It's been love the whole way along. This is the theme of the Old Testament also. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, we find this in verse 18. It says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Gee, I wonder where Jesus got it from. I am the Lord. And he he, he says that and then says, I am the Lord, as if here's my command and I'm God. This is how I operate. And so we see plainly from the Scriptures that God would have us to love each other, but what does that mean? I mean, how does that play out? In the words of the pop song, and who would know less about love than entertainers? Uh, they say, what is love? Everyone's heard that song, and you'll notice that song had no answers. Uh, what is love? What does it look like? Would we know it if we saw it? It is very clear that what our culture calls love is radically different from what God calls love. They're not in the same ballpark. In fact, if you typically, whenever our culture mentions love, if you substitute the word lust in there, you're pretty well right on the money. The song still sings the same, and it's actually a lot more accurate. Uh, so, so what guides do we have to identify genuine love, the kind of love that God would have us show each other? Well, let me give you a guiding principle this morning. I'm not going to ba- just go for minimums where if you attain to that level, uh, you've probably ticked the box. Uh, let's just go for love at its height. Love as the Holy Spirit would have us show when we give Him full control, and then we'll have that as our, as our guiding principle. Would you like to know what that looks like? Look down in our verse and read verse 13 with me, out loud. We'll read it together. You ready? Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than for you to give your life for someone else. And the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit, and the heartbeat of the submitted Christian is this, I will lay down my life for your gain. My life for yours. I will give my life for yours. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this is the principle we will look at this morning. My life for yours. It is this fruit of the Holy Spirit, my life for yours. And once you understand this principle, then you can understand the motivation and the the line of thinking and the standards and convictions and the, the actions that drive Christians. My life for yours. And there is no clearer example of God's approach to love of my life for yours than Jesus Christ himself. It is written, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, gave him to die, to lay down his life, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that he sacrificed his own life for ours, his life for ours. Jesus Christ suffered the ultimate penalty that we might be spared the ultimate penalty. Jesus Christ is the living embodiment of my life for yours. Without Jesus laying down his life for us, nothing awaited us but the fearful judgment of God in fire. From our very first sin, we had no other eternal destiny but judgment and no other hope but that a perfect sinless being would choose to give up his life and lay it down for ours And Christ did it. Jesus' life was offered to God, and God accepted the payment. The core of Christianity is Christ giving his life for ours. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he practices my life for yours. In John 10, Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd, 
The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Now, he goes to compare that to someone who's not a good shepherd, but it's just here for his three bucks fifty an hour. Uh, it says, But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. So he weighs it up. Do I stick around and fight the wolf and potentially get hurt? Or do I let him have the sheep? Well, he can have the sheep, I'm out of here. Their life for his. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, my life for yours. The ultimate definition of love is Jesus Christ, and the heartbeat of Jesus is my life for yours. And brethren, as Christians, Christ's example there is set for us to follow. That ought to be our defining characteristic. Uh, But it isn't Isn't Christ's example of love made all the more stark when you compare its exact and precise opposite in the person of Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer? Call him what you will. The love of Christ is my life for yours, but Satan demands your life for his, your life for mine. In John 8, 44, we read Jesus describing Satan and he says this, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning. Satan decided a long time ago, that he desired to rebel against God. And that was going to mean the death of billions of people. In fact, every person that has died has been basically because of that decision from Satan. And Satan was willing to make that sacrifice. Billions and billions of humans for his shot at the throne. Good deal. Your life for his. Uh, Their life for mine. Satan was 100% comfortable with you paying the ultimate penalty that he might obtain his selfish desires. Uh, The sad thing is that as human beings have now fallen, we now more resemble Satan in this matter than we do God. It is not the natural heartbeat of humans to lay down their lives for others. More often it's, look, sorry mate, but I've got to look out for number one. It's it's your life for mine. Uh, You pay that I may gain. And human history is littered with examples of this. Think of murder. Every murderer is at the end of the day thinking, My life is going to be better if your life ends right now and I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm going to put down your life. Your life will sacrifice that my life will be improved. Now, usually very shortly after that, they discover their life doesn't improve at all uh, when you meet Mr. Plod. But that is the, the, the basic thinking going on there. I'll sacrifice your life for mine. Think of the practice of human sacrifice, particularly child sacrifice is the most agrarious example given in the Bible. And if you think, well, I'm sure those lads were just talking it up, it probably wasn't as bad as they said. We've found the altars, and and around the altars, what do you find? You find bones. What kind of bones? Small, little bones from little hands and little feet and little skulls. And lots and lots and lots and lots of them. And it wasn't because that was a hospital where you went and there was terrible infant mortality. It was because it was common practice to take small children and kill them, sacrifice them, give up their life. And if you're thinking, why? I mean, ladies, you go through nine months carrying them, you've got the cankles, you've got the weight, but then you've got this wonderful creature that that you love, you even risk your own life to birth them. Why do you take that and then go to a big bronze god that's got his arms out like this and, and heat him up inside and then pop the child on the red hot arms until the child is destroyed? Why? Why would you do that? Well, The thinking is this, which is, uh, these people wanted a blessing. They wanted a blessing from their God. 
And you want the favor of God on your life? Well, obviously, he's going to require a pretty big payment. He wants something impressive. You want a big favor? You need a big favor from your God? You need a big sacrifice. And what could be a bigger sacrifice than your own flesh and blood? This, this, is, this is top tier here. So the child's life is sacrificed so that the parents may gain. They're like, I really need this from Baal. So they put their child on and they destroy it. Now, the Lord had an opinion on this whole practice. He said, uh, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Himnon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch. That is child sacrifice. And God said this, He said, Which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind. God's like, I've never even dreamed of that, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. This is a loathsome practice, but it, it is your life for mine. And to this very day, nothing has changed except the tools. Millions worldwide each year find themselves with another life inside them, and they don't like the timing. They think, I I just don't need this in my life right now. And then they realize, I can trade the life of this unborn child. If I end its life, my life will be improved, your life for mine. And they use nothing so unsophisticated as fire. Oh no, we have poisons now. We have the scalpel and the scissors and the vacuum and the curettes, but it's the same old story. Murder, your life for mine, your life for mine. And the examples here of this anti-love satanic creed of your life for mine is actually, actually endless. Every thief wants to subtract from your life that he may add to his own. Every rapist is willing to Enjoy, you know, take from another human being's life that he may enjoy now. Every time humans operate in greed, it's just them putting their life above somebody else's. Your life for mine. It's the heartbeat of the flesh. It is the heartbeat of the world. It is the heartbeat of Satan. Your life for mine. But when a son of God, or a son or a daughter of Satan, I should say, gets saved and becomes a son of God, then Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit upon you, And you find yourself right down the other end of the swimming pool now. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart and your story becomes the opposite. Your life, my life for yours is the new story. I will lay down my life for others. And this is why worldwide you will find Christians engaged in good works, doing things like running orphanages, uh, taking meals to sick people, uh, showing up in prisons to, to, to help people there, volunteering in old people's homes. This is why you'll find folks here Uh, on a Friday night, and and they've come down and they're spending time with little children, or they're out there in the nursery, you know, uh, wrangling with 11 little humans, or or out there knocking on doors and handing out tracts. Like Jesus, we lay down our life and what we want for others. In Ephesians 2.10, we read this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I find this actually, this is actually, it it confuses most unsaved people I meet. They don't realize that that's what's going on. Their their actual line of thinking is, oh, you think that, like, if you do good stuff, that God won't flog you. Or they think, oh, you you think you've run like like a tab with God, so now you've got to do the good stuff so that God might let you into heaven. That's their line of thinking, but they're... They're absolutely mistaken. They're way off base. All that that whole getting into heaven and being right with God stuff, that was actually decided mere milliseconds after I gave my life to Jesus and locked in long ago. The good works that happen now is just the Holy Spirit inside running that old program of my life for yours. And God's been doing that since eternity past. And think about it, brethren. Think about what happens when, when you're in here and you give. 
You ever heard that expression where they say time is money? Well, it, it kind of is. You go to work to convert your life, your, your time, into money, which is why people love it so much and can fall in love with money so easily. And, and when we say, well, brother so-and-so is really struggling and, and we're going to take up an offering now to help him out, it's actually your life you're putting in there with your money. You spent your time, your effort, your life to get it, but you say, no, no, I'm going to lay down my life and what I could get for my life with this, my life for yours, my life for yours. And it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit doing what He does. The same goes for Christian mothers here this morning. I mean, your entire day ends up being defined by my life for yours. You put down all the various things that you would love to do that day and you sacrifice it for your children. And it is a good thing. The Bible tells us this. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward, and yet to raise them up, their parents must constantly lay their life down for their children. And it has long been noted, folks, that as a denomination starts to turn away from the Bible and away from Jesus, uh, you start to see their fertility rate plummet. The world is not trying to sign up to have lots more children so they can lay their life down for their children. The trend is entirely in the opposite direction. And it costs mothers more than just physically. I know there's a spiritual cost. I was thinking the other day uh, about my wife. We've got four children now. uh, So we've been playing the whole kid game for what? uh, Six, seven years. Uh, And I've spent a lot more time in services than she has because when the baby needs to be fed, she's out there. But... But she's really missing out there in that sense. She used to be hearing the preaching of the Word of God three times a week, consistently. Uh, so, so I understand there is a toll there, but she does that. She lays down what she wants, and she lays down her life for ours in our family. And if that's the story for the Christian wife and mother, well, where does that leave the Christian father? We, we're in the same boat. In Ephesians 5.25, we read this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Our attitude in marriage must be my life for yours. Now, I was talking to a man, it was a relative the other, uh, a while back, a few years ago, um, and he loves the Lord, he's a good man. Um, the, the lady he's married to, she loves the Lord, but she has some issues. Uh, she has some issues. Uh, in fact, it has long occurred to me that if it was any other man, he would long ago have put her away either a divorce or a shallow grave. She, she just has this ability to enrage that I have not seen. I, I spent some time with her uh, alone in a car and I found myself just gripping the wheel, just, just shaking with rage. And anything that you, you shouldn't do or you shouldn't say, and when it's time to just let it go, no, 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 no clue, no clue. Not malice, not deliberate, but... I was asking him and said, hey, how's, how's she getting along? And he said, oh, probably getting worse as she gets older, to be honest. It's not, it's not getting any better. Like, um, he said, you know, I, I, I think the Lord might have put me here just to look after her. Like, this might be my main thing in life is to do that. Um, and it just occurred to me that this is a pretty intelligent chap who could go places. Uh, and many ladies would be very lucky to have a gent like that. Uh, and had he gone down the other route, I have no doubt he would have been married within a few years to a lovely lady. And he would have gone on to live a completely different life. And he just wasn't interested. 
he decided to lay down his life and what he wanted for this lady. Uh, we had a man like that at New Beginnings who he went and did some counselling with the pastors at his previous church and in the end the pastor said to him, look mate, cut your losses and run. You know, this, isn't, this is not going to end well. And, and he was just, he was horrified to hear that. He's like, that's not Jesus, that's not, that's not Jesus. And really what he's getting at is as Christians we are called to lay down our life for others. Uh, and, and that man was a great encouragement to me. He reminded me of the Lord Jesus as he told me that. Think of evangelism, brethren. It's not just in the family and in suffering. Evangelism is my life for yours. I mean, few things will bring persecution upon you as swiftly as telling others about Jesus, yet we do it regardless. Israel Folau's career is dead now. It's over. He's going to do his little lawsuit and he's going to get beaten. Uh, and why would he choose to do that knowing that was coming? Well, that man chose to sacrifice what was good for Israel so that others who hate him could hear how they could be saved. He gave his life for theirs. Think of the example of John the Baptist. He did this. The Bible tells us he was arrested and executed. It says this. It says, For Herod laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So imagine being in North Korea uh, and then you decide you're going to go tell King Yong-il or whoever that you don't really think much of his new relationship and you think it's wrong and he shouldn't do it. Would anyone here like to volunteer for that mission? Not me. What's in it for you? Well, nothing. He went and said that to the king. Uh, and if you're asking, well, how did that work out for John the Baptist? Not well. He ended up being executed for his pains there. So why would he do that? Well, John was willing to lay down his life and warn the king of his sin because John was following that same principle of my life for yours, my life for yours. The smart money was on saying nothing, forget the king. King's made a big mistake, uh, that's the king's problem. You look out for yours, you know, his life for yours. Yet, brethren, every time we find ourselves with an unbeliever and we've got the option to tell them about the Lord or not, you're really making a choice which is, am I going to lay my life down now that this man or this woman might have a chance at eternal life? Or am I going to make my life more comfortable by saying nothing? And that's the choice that you're faced with. My life for yours or your life for mine. Your life for mine. So this morning, brethren, if you're here and you know Jesus, then I would ask you, just hold up the mirror of the Word and see how much of the driver's wheel is the Holy Spirit holding in your life and put it in those terms. Is that how my life is characterized? Is that how I operate? I, I lay down my life for others. Is that what I do in my family? Am I laying down my life for my wife? Am I laying down my wife, life for my children? Am I laying down my life for my husband? Is that how I'm characterized at work? Or do I think, no, 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 that person has to suffer that I may take. Where, where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Because the heartbeat of Christ is my life for yours. And the day that here at Good Shepherd it becomes every man for himself is the day that the love of God has left the building. And we might as well pack it in. This morning I would ask you who are here this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, somebody's dragged you along or your mum and dad have pulled you in here one more time or you just felt like you needed to be here and you've come, uh, where are you at this morning? Uh, what, what, what is your plan now? What will you do? Uh, let's, let's switch over to Romans chapter 2 and I'll, I'll finish us there. Uh, we'll be done. But come on over to Romans 2 and we'll finish. So we said at the start that the ultimate expression of my life 
uh, for yours is an actual physical death which benefits another. You lay down your life for your brothers. The classic example, people saw it in World War II, grenade thrown into the trench, no time to get out, and one guy jumps on top of it, so it blows him to bits, but everybody else survives. The classic man deciding, I'm going to die so that these others may live. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus did something pretty well exactly that. Uh, Jesus gave up his life for us. Uh, the Bible puts it this way, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's probably the most incredible part of it for me. I can understand jumping on the grenade for your mates. I don't know that I'd have the guts to do it, but I understand they're your friends. You want to look after them. You know you're already dead anyway. Uh, and so you do it, right? But, but Jesus did this when you were sinners. You were his enemy. He chose to die for you. He laid down his life for yours while you were his foe. While you were living out Satan's your life for mine, Jesus did my life for yours. The Bible says God himself became a man and that man let himself be executed in a horrific manner so that you might have a chance to repent of your sins. His life was given for you. What will you do with that? What will you do? Despiseth thou the... Look at verse 4, please. It says this, it says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment. Now, I have warned from this pulpit many times that you have good cause to flee to Christ simply to escape that wrath, simply to escape that judgment. But this morning, I would point you to verse 4 where it says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Rather than the threat, I would give you the plea. Are you not moved by what Christ has done for you? A man has come and laid his life down that you might receive. Is that nothing to you that someone would do that? Is there, is there nothing inside of you that says, I would know more of this man? I, I, I would understand more of what, why would his death help me? So it, it warns here, it says, says do, do not harden your heart. You have an option when I ask you to consider this. One is to say... I would know more. The other is to say, blow you, mate. The Bible calls that hardening your heart, where you say, I am not, I, I, I do not want this, and you close yourself to it. So, so my request to you this morning is, please, just, just, just leave your heart soft and ask the Lord to show you if there's something in this, if there's something in this. And it, it won't just be for you, it can be for others. I remember when we were in the city once, we had a man come to us, we told him the gospel, he was very interested, until he realized, oh, wait a minute, my family doesn't believe this. Uh, that means if what you guys are saying is true, that means my family won't necessarily go to heaven when they die. And I remember another brother saying to him, saying, sir, you realize, even if that, that, that is true, but if you're to trust Christ, you may be the very vessel that the Lord uses to win your family. Like you could be, if, if, if you're willing to lay your life down before Jesus and give it to him, uh, that may be the way that your family is saved. And so I'd put it to you that this is worth considering for your own soul. It is worth considering for the souls of those around you. But please, the goodness of God is leading you to repentance this morning. Lay your life down. Do not leave this place this morning without the Holy Spirit inside you. Christ has given his life for yours and his goodness leads you to repentance and faith in Him. Please do not leave this morning. If you do not know Him, come and speak to us and we will show you from the Word of God how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you will go if you die.
and it is a wonderful life. Let's pray, brethren, and we'll be done. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for your life, Lord. You had all power, all glory. You had all things a being could desire, yet you made yourself a man and underwent that sacrifice for us, Lord. And we are so grateful, Lord Jesus. We love you. Lord, we wish to emulate you. We wish to lay down our lives for others. Uh, Father God, we pray for your, your mercy upon those that do not know you, Lord. Draw them, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.